You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We're glad you're here. If you'd like to learn more about our church or want to know how to get involved, visit kingscross.org. We pray that as you listen, you experience the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Morning, King's Cross. How are we? Doing all right? Good, good. If you're brand new, uh, my name's Chip. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you are uh, with us. I said this in the first service, but I'm going to say it again because I don't know which recording we'll use. So um, if you are listening to this on the podcast because you're one of the ladies who are down in Hilton Head, we just prayed for you uh, and we are hoping that God is going to work uh, in your heart. Um, based on the things that have happened down there on the retreat. And if you're not here, you also just missed us talking about next week, which is our March Missions Madness. So don't miss that. Um, so you won't be able to experience all of that on the podcast. So um, that's just a public service announcement for no one in the room, but um, in case it's on a recording. So um, appreciate your prayers for everything that is going on uh, in the life of the church and for uh, us taking a little bit of time. Time to, to calm our hearts together and uh, pray for one another uh, during these times as well. I appreciate those pastoral moments, Josh, so thank you for that. Uh, we started a new series in the book of Galatians last week, and so you could be turning there. Uh, we're going to be in the second half of chapter 1. If you weren't here last week, that's okay. Uh, I could catch you up a little bit. The Apostle Paul has written this letter. He intends it to be circulated amongst a number of churches in what is in modern day of the southern part of Turkey. Back then, that region was called Galatia. About a year before he wrote the letter, he had taken a mission trip to that area. He planted several churches in several cities. Um, But after he left, there were some other dudes that came in and they kind of attacked both Paul and the message that he had preached. And so Paul's concerned for these new Christians and new churches because these groups who have come in after him are twisting the gospel and distorting it. He's worried that having been set free by God's grace through faith in Christ, these new Christians are going to become enslaved again to their old way of thinking and living and believing. And so he writes this letter, and it's pretty aggressive. Uh, It's blunt. It's really sarcastic. Uh, At times, he's trying pastorally to pull them back from the brink of spiritual disaster. And in a room this size, I know that there is likely some of you who are in that place this morning. You are drifting towards or maybe running towards or are already on the brink of spiritual disaster. Maybe you've stumbled across some podcast and it's pretty good, but now after several months of listening, it has you doubting truths that you used to treasure or Or maybe you started to follow some random person on TikTok. They have a lot of letters after their name, and so you don't really know them, but they're a pretty good talker, and and you've begun to think about God and faith and the world and, and spirituality kind of through their eyes. Maybe someone you love is walking through a season of deep pain and grief, and 
and you're the person in their life that's supposed to be spiritual, and they've asked you questions that you don't have the answers for them. And maybe that makes you angry at God or embarrassed for yourself, ashamed of, like, you don't really have a place to, to put that. Maybe you're just bored. And you feel like, man, I've been doing this church thing for a while, and, you know, that skeet shooting thing was pretty fun, and I like the chili cook-off, but i got to be honest with you, man, I, I don't know if I'm going to keep doing this every weekend if something doesn't change. And you're just kind of starting to check out. If that's you, or you're somewhere on the spectrum like that, God sees you. He sent Paul and inspired Paul to write this letter to the Galatian. He has preserved it for about 1,976 years. He, last year, led me to prepare a series on this letter, and this week was with me as I prepared to preach this message to you in the hopes that the truth of the gospel can pull you back from the brink of spiritual disaster. My encouragement to you is, if that's where you are this morning, that's okay. A lot of us have been there. I've been there. But we don't want to leave you there. So, like if your spiritual wheels are wobbling, man, that, that's all right, but we don't want to just let you keep going down the road until those things come off and all of a sudden there's this disaster. But Paul is writing to people he loves and he's saying, hey, don't, you can't keep doing it this way. We, we got to pull you back from the brink here. Paul, last week, opened his letter. He's kind of defending himself against these attacks that he was unqualified and untrustworthy. They were saying Paul preached this watered down gospel that really was just designed to get people to like him and to more people to come to this, these churches that he had planted. And so, man, he came out of the letter swinging. We, we ended last week at verse 9. He said, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Paul is pastorally, righteously angry. He's saying to them, literally, if somebody's coming in and preaching a twisted gospel to you, to hell with them. Literally, that's what he's saying. This is not passive. He's angry. He drips sarcasm in the next verse because they're saying, oh, you know, this Paul, he's just a people pleaser. He just really likes to say and do things that make people like him. And so in verse 10, after having just accursed these people who are accusing him, he says, don't worry, we got somebody staged to press that button. That's all right. When you have an intern, you can put him in the closet. Everybody turn around and wave at Cedric. Thank you, Cedric. And you can say, this is going to beep right before 11 o'clock, push this button. So we've been working on that for like a month in uh, parts and HVAC and don't worry about it. Thank you, Cedric. Appreciate that. Um, <laughs> if, you're, if, if you're listening to that on the podcast, you should be here. That would have been real funny. So um, verse 10, you know, he, he accurses these people. And then verse 10, he just gets super sarcastic. He says, oh, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? I, am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul's a preacher, but he's also human. And sometimes I think we read the scriptures as if they weren't written by real people with real emotions and real issues at a real time in real history. And yes, we believe at King's Cross that what we have in the scriptures are the very words of God as the Holy Spirit inspired men and carried them along as they wrote them. But we also believe that God spoke through those men 
through their personalities and the circumstances of their lives. And I can tell you as a pastor that if someone comes into King's Cross and starts twisting the gospel, starts distorting or using the scriptures in the wrong way, if we find out that someone is undermining the gospel of Jesus Christ once for all delivered to the saints, the response of me, my, my response, the response of our elders here is not going to be like benign tolerance. And like Paul, we have a pastor's heart and we'll put up a lot with a lot, but we're not putting up with that. And Paul's not going to put up with it either. That's where we ended last week. In verse 11, his focus shifts uh, to the gospel itself. And one of the accusations that is being leveled against Paul, uh, as best as we can tell, kind of sifting through things, is they were saying that these agitators who had come in were saying something along the lines of, look, obviously he got this gospel from the apostles in Jerusalem. That's kind of where this whole thing kicked off. And so clearly... Uh, that's where he learned it. And we also have come from Jerusalem, and, and we know the apostles, but we've got the rest of the story. Paul's leaving some things out, see? He, he's trying to make it easy for you. But we're going to tell you what you have to do to really be saved. And so Paul's going to respond to that. He's going to use his own story, his own testimony, to defend the gospel message itself as an apologetic for, evidence for, an argument for, the gospel. And as he does so, what we see is a really a fourfold defense of the gospel. So Galatians 1 verse 11 is where we'll pick up. I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Back in Acts chapter 1, Acts records the history of the early church. In chapter 1, the resurrected Christ ascends bodily into heaven. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls, empowers believers. The gospel's preached. The church is born. You keep going. By the time you get to Acts chapter 9, that same Jesus who had ascended bodily appears in his glorified form to Paul while he's on the road to a town called Damascus, and he confronts him and saves him and calls him into ministry. More on that in just a minute. But that's what Paul's referring to here. And so he says, look, I, I didn't go to seminary in Jerusalem under Professor Peter and, and Dr. John. That, that I didn't do that. I learned this gospel message that I preach from Jesus. Now, here's why that matters to you, because Paul was preaching, and at King's Cross, by the grace of God, we do our best to try to preach an unchanging gospel. An unchanging gospel. Paul's going to say, look, I, I, I didn't even know those dudes. I, I didn't go to Sunday school in Jerusalem. I got the message, and I'm preaching the same thing they're preaching, and I didn't come from them. This, this gospel is unchanging Islam teaches that the prophet Muhammad received the Quran from the angel Gabriel in a cave and that it corrects or supersedes it, abrogates everything that came before it in other holy scriptures. It's the replacement. Mormons will tell you that they believe in the Bible, but they also believe on equal authority the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price, along with uh, words that what they would call modern-day prophets in our day or in the days to come might say. They say these things are also authoritative. They can correct and change that which came before. Christianity does not do that. 
Christianity is clear and has always been clear about which writings are divine and which ones aren't. And what comes later chronologically does not supersede or overthrow what comes before. Jesus is very clear about this in his public ministry. He's at pains to make sure that people understand he's not starting a new religion. He says, for example, in Matthew 5, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. That's most of what we would call the Old Testament. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Hey, man, I'm just doing this same unchanging thing that my father's been doing. The Old Testament had prepared the people of God, the people of God for God's promised Messiah. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, biographical accounts that reveal that Jesus was that Old Testament prophet, uh, promised, wow, that's hard for me to say, Old Testament promised Messiah. And the rest of the writings in the New Testament explain how we should live in response to the lordship of that promised Messiah, Jesus. It is an unchanging gospel, an unchanging good news. God's plan revealed at first back in Genesis 3 to redeem his sinful image bearers. It was revealed then, is clarified and manifested, is finally and fully realized in the new heavens and the new earth. In Revelation 22, one story, one unchanging gospel from beginning to end. So listen, if you've been around King's Cross a while and you've got a, a gospel radar, or if you're brand new, uh, we'd love to get you equipped with one. It, it should start like lighting up and pinging and sending you messages when you hear people say things like, well, yeah, but that was the Old Testament. Hey, man, this thing, you know, that book's like 2,000 years old. You know, you know, it's just written by men, right? Like they're trying to perpetuate the patriarchy and oppress people. And, you know, if Jesus were here today, he would say, like, you should just have like bells and whistles going off. It was a no, 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 no. No, Moses and the prophets and Jesus and the apostles and the church for the last 2,000 years have preached, taught, and believed an unchanging gospel. Now, have there been some evil men and women and movements and organizations who have hijacked the name of Jesus and twisted it and used it for their own purposes? Of course they have. They're, yes, evil people have done evil things claiming the name of Jesus, advance their own agenda, enrich themselves. That's what these dudes are doing in Galatia. That's why Paul's writing this letter in 48 AD. That's how come when religious people will come to Jesus with questions about God in the New Testament, he's constantly answering them by pointing them back to the scriptures. Trying to say, no, no, this thing has a foundation. It's been rooted. And so he says, for example, a lawyer comes to him in Luke 10. He says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, what's written in the law? Like, I'm not going to tell you anything new. We're just going to talk about what my father has always said. The Sadducees in Matthew 28, Jesus is rebuking them. And he says, you're wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. 
And so Paul is appealing to this unchanging gospel, and he's saying the reason that the gospel can be trusted is because I got it from Jesus just like the apostles got it from Jesus, and we would say they faithfully recorded it, and the church preserved it under the sovereignty of God so that you and I now believe and preach and hear and study that same unchanging gospel. He continues in verse 13. You've heard of my former life in Judaism and how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. It's not an exaggeration to say in our, uh, in our language today, we would call Paul a terrorist. Like he has a list of people who he is hunting down, dragging out of their homes and executing publicly for everybody to see. What other name would we have for that? And we don't really like to think of him that way, but in his former life, he says, he's doing these things and doing it violently. <laughs> the Greek is beyond exceeding measure. He's doing these things. He, he's not shooting them a quick text. Hey, I saw your Facebook post, and we may have some theological issues to discuss. Could you meet me at the high priest's house, and we'll have tea? Violently. He's not trying to slow down the church. He's trying to destroy it. He's not jealous because more people are attending this new Jesus thing than are coming over to his. Like, no, his goal is to annihilate followers of Jesus from the face of the planet because he sees them as blasphemers. This is what's going on. Verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Now, if you're one of those people that Paul is hunting down, he's like, you know, nightmare number one. But for everybody else, Paul is the most religiously educated morally upstanding, law-abiding, nation-loving, family-honoring, like moral, you've never been around anybody who is more religious and upright than Paul. You would have liked Paul as long as he wasn't hunting you down to drag you in front of a lynch mob. Like, you would have voted yes to call Paul as your pastor. If he wanted to marry your daughter or your sister, that would be like, yes, Absolutely. This is a good man. He knows all these things. He lives according to them. And he's totally lost. There's two ways to be lost. Right? You could be rebelliously lost, but you can also be religiously lost. And that's where Paul is. But here's the thing. That unchanging gospel is for even the most unlikely people. People like Paul. It's the most unlikely people. People like you and, and me. So if you're someone who would say, man, I'm a mess. If you just knew half the stuff going on in my life, like I, I can't shake this addiction. I hide it, but look, man, it, it's got a hold on me. I can't get away from it. I'm not even sure I believe can't remember the last time I prayed. I never sing. I'll be honest with you, bro, I wish I wasn't here right now. I'm just here because I want to be able to tell people I'm here. 
You know, it, cuss like a sailor. You're angry all the time. You see, man, I got all these racist thoughts running around my head. I've kind of learned to keep my mouth shut, but I think them. My wife went down to Hilton Head on that retreat. I cut loose last night. I mean, I'm here, Chip. I'm hungover right now. Well, congratulations. You're rebellious. Good for you. The good news for you in your rebellious state is that Jesus said he came to save unlikely people just like you. He said in Luke 5, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So praise God. Let's just confess those things, admit them, try to put them behind and start walking in a different way. Jesus came to meet you in your rebellion. But some of you may be religiously lost. Like you grew up going to church, never missed a VBS, always won sword drill. Y'all know what sword drill is? A few of you are Baptists. If you don't know what sword drill is, ask a Baptist next to you. If you don't know where Galatians is, and you don't want anybody to know that, you weren't in sword drill. Okay, um, <laughs> it's like swords, like actual. No, it's not. Um, anyway, like maybe your first kiss was on your honeymoon, much less anything that came after that. You know, like your teetotaler, totally good. You don't have any interest in anything. Uh, any, like you read through your Bible every year. You got a reading plan. You've been doing. You read through it every year for the last fifteen years faithfully. You know, you really wish King's Cross would start a new building campaign so we could get a pipe organ so God would accept our worship. <laughs> you're like, you're coming, but you really get irritated that I wear jeans almost every week. You're pretty sure Eminem's the Antichrist. Like, okay, congratulations, you're religious. That doesn't mean you're not lost. You might be just as lost as Paul was. Jesus says to you in John chapter 5, you search the scriptures, this is what he says to the Sadducees who are just religiously lost people. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. They bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. See, at King's Cross, no matter how unlikely a person you might think you are, our goal is to get you to know Christ no matter how unlikely you think that is. And then we want you to grow into knowing him more and more and more as the years go by. Jesus lived a perfect life that you have not lived. And if you know you haven't, then it's good news that he did. And if you think you have, then he needs to break through your pride and show you that you haven't. He died a death in your place to pay a penalty for sin you could never pay. And on the third day, he rose again in a victory that you could never win on your own. And we want you to know him. Every single person who ever was or ever will be saved is an astronomically, unbelievably unlikely person because nobody deserves grace. Nobody deserves it. And so you say, well, it's pretty unlikely that I'm a Christian. Hey, it's unlikely anybody's a Christian. The amazing thing is not that anybody goes to hell. The amazing thing is that anybody receives enough grace to go to a reward. We're all unlikely. It applies to you, to me, to Paul. You know what applies to that person that's close to you but far from God? And you just, you've never invited them to church. You've never invited them to come to youth group. 
Like you never talk to them about faith. You try not to ever let them see you praying because in your mind, they're just like the least likely person to ever respond to that. Jesus specializes in unlikely people. Invite them. Talk to them about faith. If you see they're having a rough day, ask if you can pray with them. That's who he came to save. It's unlikely people like you and me, like Paul. And here's how you'll know when that unlikely person has come to believe an unchanging gospel is you'll see an undeniable change in their life. An undeniable change. This is what happens to Paul. He says in verse 15, When he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. Now that's language that in the first century religious people would have heard as language that applied to the Old Testament prophets. But in the New Testament, Jesus and the apostles use that type of language to describe everyone who comes to a place of faith. All believers. So if you're a Christian or if you would become a Christian, the clear, repeated teaching in the Bible about your salvation is that God knew you before you were. He knew you before you existed. He sent his son to die and to redeem you, and then he sent his spirit to convict you of your sin, to open your eyes to the beauty of the gospel, to give you a gift of faith and make you a new creation in Christ. That's what he has done for you. And that creator God, Paul says, was pleased to reveal, verse 16, reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. If God has worked in you, he wants to work through you. Right? Ephesians 2 is going to say it's by grace you've been saved through faith and that God has prepared good works for you to do before he saved you so that you might walk in them after he saved you. If he has saved you, he has sent you. No matter how unlikely you think it is, you are not the only Christian that God thinks is just pitiful enough to get in the kingdom but not powerful enough for the mission. That is not you. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, if you're a Christian, now dwells in you. And he's as powerful as he needs to be. Verse 16 I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, and that's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. The persecutor has become the preacher. The enemy of the church has become its ambassador. The hater of the church has become its greatest champion. And again, don't miss this. In the context of Galatians 1, Paul is using his own story as an apologetic for the gospel. You see that? He says, look, First of all, I wasn't discipled by those guys. Like, I, I didn't learn this message from them. In fact, I was preaching it for three years before I even met those dudes. And it turns out I'm preaching the same message as they are. What kind of explanation do you have for that? On top of that, he says, you know me. 
You know how I used to be. You know the way I am now. I am undeniably changed. What other explanation is there for my life except that this gospel that I preach that by God's grace has saved me is true? What other explanation do you have? He's using his life, the change, the undeniable change in his life as an apologetic for, a defense of, proof of the truth of the gospel. Don't you want that to be true of your life? Like what, is there anything in your life that would have to change in order for people to look at you and say, the only explanation for that is that the gospel she says she believes must be true. I don't know any other way to explain it. Like what if people looked at your life and they said, what other explanation is there for that level of generosity? Do you have any idea? Like That just seems foolish to me. Like, well, how do they have that kind of peace in the middle of that kind of pain? What, what explanation is there? For the, how is his joy that unshakable? I, I, don't, I don't understand. How, how do they have that level of commitment to justice initiatives or adoption and foster care, racial reconciliation? Or like, well, what explanation is there for that? What could possibly lead to that type of undeniable change in their life? In what she loves? In what he gives his time to? and how they parent? You see how patient that dude is now? What, what? I mean, that dude's different. If you are a Christian, God wants to use your life as evidence of, as an apologetic for, as a proof of the veracity of the gospel. That people might look at you and say, there's only one explanation for that. I know that dude. <laughs> The only way that that could have possibly happened is if this thing he says he believes is true. This thing she's trying to share about, I mean, it must be something to it. Because I knew her in high school. What happened? Jesus happened. Paul's not glorying in the way that he used to be. He's just saying, you see how I've changed? My life not only is my message the same as theirs, even though we'd never met each other. Look at my life. Maybe you're not a Christian yet. And in a room this size, not all of us are. And maybe one of the reasons for that is you hang around a bunch of Christians and they actually push you away from the gospel. Maybe you say, like, this is just not my experience, man. I, you know, I, I can barely even stand to go to church because of some of these hypocrites. Well, just understand, you might be dealing with religiously lost people. And they just don't know it. Paul didn't know it for a long time. They just need grace too. You know, they need you to pray for them, that they would experience the type of undeniable change that we long to see would be true in your life. The type of undeniable change that we hope is true of our lives. And the reason that we want that is not so that people will applaud us, you know, or say, like, oh, isn't he, aren't, like, it's not that. We want people to look at our lives and say, what kind of God could do that? Right? The undeniable change that comes from grace through faith 
in an unchanging gospel, it never points to the person who got saved. It always points to the God who saved them. See the difference there? Like when you look at a beautiful painting, you don't look at it and go, man, the brushes must have been awesome. Right? You look and say, who painted that? It's beautiful. This, this is what an undeniable change in your life points people to, the God who changed you. That's what we see in verses 21 to 24. Paul continues. He says, Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They knew his reputation, but they hadn't seen the wanted poster yet in the post office, you know? Like they'd heard the things he was doing, but they weren't real sure what he looked like. And so they were only, verse 23, hearing it. And they said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. They glorified God because of me. The undeniable change in Paul's life led people who had never even met him into uninhibited worship. You say, well, why are you throwing that modifier uninhibited? Where I don't see that in the text. This is me just projecting a little bit. But here's what I think. I think when a terrorist who has your name on a lynch mob hit list comes to a saving faith in Christ and starts preaching the same gospel he wanted to kill you for believing, that's a good day. I think you worship a little more robustly with a little bit less fear, a little less inhibition, right? I think Presbyterians are raising their hands. I, mean, I think Baptists are showing up early because they're like, we got to get there. I'm excited about this. this. This dude was trying to kill us. And sooner or later, he was going to get to our city. And now when he gets here, what he wants to do is plant a church and send out a mission team. I mean, I see people get a little bit excited. Undeniable change that leads to uninhibited worship in others. I'll give you maybe a, a better example. You know the hymn Amazing Grace? Some of you. Does anyone, I'm not trying to embarrass you, has anyone never heard of the hymn Amazing Grace? Not one person. No one in the first service either. All right, here, here's why I ask that. How many... Like, how many of us have been moved to tears by some rendition of that hymn? How many millions of people in their own heart language around the world have, in their own culture, their own time, have poured their hearts out to God in uninhibited worship as they sang the words to that hymn? Amazing Grace was written in 1772. It's published in 1779. It has been sung, published, tweaked so many times that they, can't, they literally can't keep track of how often people have uh, professionally put that song out. They literally can't keep track of it. It's considered by many to be the most popular hymn in the history of Christianity. Now, this is just my opinion, but I'll tell you part of the reason why I think that is is because the man who wrote it, John Newton, was a slave trader. He sold people. He was in the shipping business that did it. He traded in them like cattle. 
So I think when he writes, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I just think there's a resonance and a power in that story that we can relate to. That dude got saved by grace through faith. Man, I think that's powerful. John Newton died in London in 1807 in December. The epitaph on his headstone reads this. Some of you know this. It reads, John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. But that sounds a lot like Paul, doesn't it? Two of the most unlikely people, a slave trader and a religiously fanatical terrorist. Two lives undeniably changed by an unchanging gospel that offered just as much hope in the first century as it did in the 18th century as it does to you and me in the 21st century. Two testimonies that still lead people like you and me to reflect not on them, but on the God who saved them. And we come in and we worship him week after week after week. We're going to transition back into a time of singing, of responding to this unchanging gospel. But before we do that, would you bow your head with me and just reflect for a moment on the power of these things. Would you pray and ask the Spirit to apply this passage to your heart, to your mind? Maybe for some of you, for the first time this morning, you believe. You felt like you were so rebellious, you're so far from God. There's no way, and this thing might be good for other people, but not you. And for the first time this morning, you understand that what Jesus did was sufficient for you. Or maybe you're just realizing that all this religion that you've wrapped yourself in hasn't brought you any nearer to God. You're just as lost as you were. And for the first time this morning, he's broken through that. Maybe you just need to pray right where you are. Acknowledge that. Confess it. Ask him to save you, not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you. Maybe for some of you, you're you know just the basics of the gospel and praise God for that. But you need to know more about those scriptures that Jesus pointed people to that the church has died to preserve. You just want to recommit yourself to knowing and growing in the gospel. Or maybe you know there's some things that have to change. You want your life to look undeniably different. You need to pray and ask God for help in that. He'll give you the strength to do what you can't do on your own. For some of you, you've already been there. And you look back and say, man, that change has happened. And you need to thank him again. Because you don't take it for granted. You've seen a change in your loved ones, in your friends. Just praise him for it. Or maybe like those churches Paul talked about, you just need to worship like the person 
who's been set free without inhibition or fear because what he's done is so good. Father, would you press on us with the Holy Spirit? Meet us where we are and make us what we need to be. In Christ's name, amen. My name's Josh. I'm the associate pastor here at King's Cross Church. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Take a moment to subscribe and you'll get each week's message automatically. We invite you to join us as we grow in the gospel, connect in community, and live on mission. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.